You are listening to Flipping the Narrative. Come and flip with us. Ciao from Italia. How are you now and Luis? <laughs> We are good. Uh, I'm not in Italy. I'm just having so my fill of pasta and prosecco. <laughs> decidedly local, you bougie bitch. Hello. I'm having, I'm stuck in Manila, but enjoying myself, little Miss Mayabang there. And I am very excited about this episode because, hello, women empowerment, like my middle name, my uterus is throbbing no, with delight. <laughs> my ovaries are like, oh, my ovaries are like iron, man. I'm all excited. Well, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just your gay bitch that you're going to toss around the entire episode. <laughs> you, sir, are you know, our, uh, our cis gay ally. Yeah, my personal mission in Europe while I'm here is to convert voters, like to make sure Pinoy voters vote, you know, the Pinoy OFWs and everything. And so, you know, in London, in England, where I'm based for the most part, there's this... Um, Waitrose supermarket, and there's a sushi chef there who's Pinoy. And I have to go every day while I was doing my work placement, I would go every day and buy freaking sushi from him so that I could have this conversation about who he was going to vote for, why he was voting for that <laughs> okay. person, and why he's not considering someone else. Okay, so I'm not going to mention names because, okay. you know, um, I, I just, but the last time I saw him, he said, Ma'am, pwede lang magtanong, ano ba talaga yung ginawa ni, anong ginawa, anong nagawa ni Lenny? So I said, well. Okay. <laughs> so I saw that as a sign that all that money I was spending every day for bloody sushi and poke bowls and whatever. And, and the one time he told me, masarap yung bulgogi. I said, okay, bibilin ko yan. So I had it for lunch. It turned out to be plant-based bulgogi. But it was masarap. But still, Okay. I would have preferred beef, but for the oh, country. Hey. <laughs> for the country. Speaking of for the country, then. For the country. Um, we'd like to welcome our guests. We're really thrilled to have both of them here. Bams, can you give them a proper intro so our listeners know yeah, how we amazing are, they are? Yeah, we are overflowing with estrogen today <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> and we have two young ladies with us who are very impressive and very accomplished at their very young age. And you know, we talk about, you know, in the podcast, sometimes we approach the episode with a little bit of cynicism and despair, but we always end up with so much hope. And for me, this episode is really important because nothing symbolizes hope as much, I know it's a cliche, but as much as the young. And with the two ladies we have today, I mean, gosh, they, they are educated, they are articulate, they're fine writers. And I think, you know, if this is the future of the country, hopefully we're in, we're in good hands. So Amen. let me introduce, please don't call us Tita and Tito in this particular episode. Okay. <laughs> we are in denial. They're, I must say, just full disclosure, their parents are friends of mine. So maybe they didn't have a choice, but come on this episode. So anyway. Katya joining us today, Katya Lichalco, is a 24-year-old writer and editor graduate of Ateneo de Manila University. And she's already, she already has um, a couple of books under her belt. So, I mean, um, she minored in English literature, majored in political science and communication. 
So right up our alley. And um, she's a founder and managing editor of Big Deal, an anthology of Philippine women's stories and art. And she has another book coming out, Fearless Filipinas Part 2, slated for release this year, where she's co-author and managing editor. Plus, she has an indie bookstore that's online for the moment. And I've actually purchased books from her. It's called Staff Picks. And these are books that are personally picked by her. Her indie bookstore is called Staff Picks. And as the name implies, it's their hand-picked books, a selection of books, curated selection of books, if you will, by Katya and her um, partner in this venture, Enzo Santo. So again, a very young point of view, but very well-read, very open to ideas, and really out to kind of rock your world one word at a time, put it that way. Okay, joining us today also is Yana Garcia, who is a graduate of um, Santa Clara University with a degree in psychology and sociology. And she's currently the director of programs as well as a peer counselor for Project Study Asia, which is a mental health initiative that focuses on creative arts therapy for adults and teenagers. And she is with um, Katya, co-editor of Big Deal, an anthology of Filipino women's story. And she is actually leaving us soon to go to Boston College for her master's in mental health counseling now. This, yeah. I mean, I know that Yana and Tatya call their book Big Deal, but these two are a huge deal. Amen. Okay. Welcome, yeah. ladies. And We're so happy yeah, to have welcome. you. Thank you so much for having us and for Thank the you. glowing introductions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. So to so, start us off, hmm. can we first talk about your amazing work with Big Deal? I think it's a great place to start because I haven't seen a lot of, a lot of anthologies specific to Filipina writers and artists and with a young voice specific to that to that mm-hmm. particular voice no how did it come about what are you guys hoping to do like lay it on us okay I'm guessing I wasn't asked to be part of that because I'm not Gen Z or millennial <laughs> right <laughs> for everyone though <laughs> And when um, Luis was talking about dinosaurs a while ago, there are dinosaurs too among people our age. So, uh, <laughs> fair. On, so I don't think it's an age thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So how did it, yeah. What are you guys hoping that this book does? What, how did it come about? What is the lofty ambition here? Um, and yeah, I was just going to say, though, that like it was funny that you mentioned um, how the whole your podcast came together, because that's actually how our book came together, too. Um, Yana and I have been best friends since the womb, basically. Um, our dads are best friends. Our moms are best friends. So wow. we were practically destined to be best friends, too. And um, yeah, we we grew up together and we had lots of conversations over the years. And it was really during the pandemic in 2020 when. We would be on Zoom calls um, late into the night mm. talking about problems, talking about, you know, things that we had gone through that we had never really tapped into too much before. I mean, I know we mentioned I mentioned that we grew up together, but we were really, I think, our most vulnerable at that time, I guess, because we had a lot of time to reflect on things and we were bringing up stuff from our past that we didn't really that the other person didn't really know about and it was yana who actually came to me with idea one day after or during one of those calls and was like i really want to do a project um specific to filipino women and so we were talking about it we were like okay what can we do exactly and 
putting our minds together with Yana's background, like in psychology, my background in like writing and gender, we were like, we should put a book together. And like you said, it was really because we felt that there was a lack of Mm -hmm. anthologies and compilations specific to Filipino women in our demographic. And we already knew that we had stories to tell. And if like, we were just two girls, what more like our friends, our peers, people we didn't even know, all women have a story to tell and in different mediums too, which is really how like big deal started out in the beginning when it was just an idea. Yana, what is your, what is your hope here? Huh? Katya's <laughs> answer was like super perfect. <laughs> so I'm just gonna, I'm just going to add a little bit on there. Is that the idea of big deal, like Katya said, started as a conversation between two best friends. Actually, because I'm a huge fan of things that Katya writes, actually she didn't mention that her thesis was called One Woman, which was about, you know, women's experiences. And she was telling that there wasn't any resources, literature, literature mm-hmm. on any of this in the Philippines. So that was also a reason why we wanted to kind of put this in writing, put these experiences in writing so that, you know, other people who would like to study, you know, these things have something to refer to or have something nice. to read. And also the whole goal of Big Deal is to start conversations. I think that's the one thing that we really wanted to achieve because one of the things that actually warmed our hearts when we were talking about, when we would um, talk about the book with people was when um, parents would come to us and say, oh, this helped me start a conversation with my daughter, Fantastic. you know, or my son. And it's like, and it's really great. And because it's, that's really what we want. These are not easy topics to talk about. And in a way, we weren't raised to discuss these things. So it's something that we kind of have to break through. And I think that was our hope with this book, that it's kind of that little doorstopper, you know, of a conversation so that we can all kind of get on the same page about a lot of issues. Not to be writing your coattails all too much, but that's exactly the same reason why we started this thing. It was really friends who had a sincere love for us and our people and you know us as as a gay man as as women as filipinas as mixed race and all these things Mm -hmm. and really wanting to start conversations that might be difficult in the hopes that maybe someone who's out there that's struggling with these things has a platform or a venue or a space Mm -hmm. where they feel safe enough to talk about this stuff right i have to ask you before we kind of go on because i'm Mm -hmm. really curious when i first read the, the book title there were some things in the title that made me think immediately of Luce Irigere, the plurality of voice. And the, this bridge called my back, which is this anthology of um, radical women of color by Gloria Ansaldua. And I wanted to mention that because to me, title palang na excite na ako because I could put it in this pantheon of women that wanted to uh, break through those doors and add to those stories. So I guess I just want to say congratulations. I'm really psyched. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. <laughs> um, actually, I was going to say that big deal. The title was something that Katya and I knew before we wrote the before and we the first option. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> it was the only option. Actually, that was the only option for the for the title of the book because it came from the phrase when we you know when we talk to our friends. Actually, I caught myself using it a lot when I used to talk to Katya about what like we the shit I used to do. I still say it sometimes. So I'll say it. But um, but it's really when you say, "Oh, this happened," but it's not that really big of a deal. Don't worry about right. it. Right. And it kind of loses power, and it makes you feel mm. less that your experiences are less important. So 
we were saying that we kind of wanted to reclaim that phrase, like everything that you experience, the things that are important to you, those are, that's a big deal. And it should be a big deal to people who love you. So that's kind of the approach we took. I think that's one. And you know what, if I may, there's a couple of things, especially I think in the context of mental health, one of the biggest oh. issues that we have found is that the small issues are big deals. And people tend to just suppress them and say, no, it's not a big deal. And those little things are the ones that actually cause the greater damage. Um, So so that's why I think it's really important. A favorite topic of Luis to bring up is power dynamic. And I think, you know, the fact that with mental health, as well as with things like the Me Too movement, and, you know, it's so Filipino to me and so masculine and so whatever to be like, Okay lang yan, maarte ka lang, arte lang yan, or, you know, ganun yun talaga, kasi yung mga lalaki, ganyan lang talaga. Parang, mm-hmm. there is something to me about the lightness in tone of that dismissal that is actually oh. so freaking damaging to the psyche, right? Because Super. you're going For through sure. something that is so painful or so big to you, but that lightness of it, how quickly it's dismissed and summarily and parang, sus naman, wala yan. I find really, so I think it's, yeah, again, really powerful. And, and, that, and that sort of, if I may continue on this, because I think it's important growing up um, and listening to, you know, what we need to look for in women, right? And all of this stuff uh, in our culture, you, you basically really, to this day, still realize that the Filipino woman is the biggest unsung hero of the success of this country. And, and it's quite painful to see as a well, man, gay man, whatever you want to call it, because you're, you're really attuned to, to, to these, you know, the, the, the smaller, I guess, nuances with this. It's like, you know, I grew up with, you know, Filipinos are mahinhin and this and that. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck no. You know, the, the reality is that we are, there is such a large discrepancy nowadays. We have those two or three dinosaurs that everybody thinks this country is about. but. But hey, more than 50% of this country is made up by, you know, a very young population who is yeah. brimming with new ideas, new ways of life. Um, they have experienced culture. They have gone out, come back inside. And, and the problem is that the image that we're giving out does really not correspond to those dinosaurs. In the Philippines, is so much more dynamic. And the women of the Philippines are so much more ahead than what this sort of image um, everybody else is trying to keep is giving out, right? I was going to say that kind of morphed from Mahinhin only to like Madonna whore. We're such a Madonna whore culture. We worship our beauty queens as and suggestive as they can possibly get, but they still have to emote Maria Clara-ness virginhood. You know what I mean? Like Mm. we really have to vacillate between the two you just can't be too much of a whore and can't be too much of a prude what continues to amaze me up to this up up to now is that we say all these things women realize all these things i think when you talk to other women they've been through it but they themselves minimize their own experiences for the sake of accommodating Mm -hmm. the rest of society right to to keep everything to keep the peace not to be magulo not to draw attention to yourself the important thing here is to get women on board as well so that they raise, you know, they raise men and women 
who respect women, right? Yeah. I mean, you raise your daughters to be strong and say, Kaya Moyan, you know, the world's your oyster, you can climb up the corporate ladder and all that stuff. But if you're not teaching your sons to actually respect that, then it's all for naught, right? And so, I mean, I, I can't help but bring up what happened recently since, you know, elections are coming up. Please do. How these presidential candidates, all men, choose to attack a woman, the lone woman candidate for president, who is surging in the polls and asking her to step down for the sake of unity. Why her? Why are they attacking her and not attacking, you know, the candidate who's, who's leading, who has, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, many questionable issues around or banned with her candidacy. against one of the other male yeah, candidates. Or banned like, with her against, yeah. The optics were just awful, right? And it's like, this is one woman, I mean, we've spoken about this before, I think facts are facts. This one woman who's basically been marginalized by the administration that she serves with no resources, and yet she's managed to be the clean, she's managed to run the cleanest office in government. The lead, I mean, no corruption, not a single whiff of corruption with scarce resources, but able to deliver to constituents all over the country. Yeah. I mean, if that's not, if that's not dedication, that's not, you know, um, you know, what, what are the okay. words? I'm at a loss for a word. <clears throat> leadership. So, okay. You know, I, I want to make sure we don't focus too much on sort of the, the qualifications of everybody because it's tempting as fuck. We all know this, right? I know we've been agree, agree. it from the rooftops. But to me, I do think, and I would love to get definitely from younger points of view. For me, optics palang Like seeing that cadre, that boys club, that freaking gang come together with this fragile machismo show of this ultra hype up press con to basically whine and bitch and gang up on the one female candidate. Mm -hmm. To me, it felt like a punch in the gut. Like I felt it viscerally as a woman going, and Luis actually said it earlier, it's 2022. <laughs> Parang it felt so incongruent with <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 I actually don't know if the, if the outcome of that press con was what it was really meant to be originally. I just see men who were checking each other out, sizing each other up, and hoping that one of them would re resign and, and, and hope that they would take in everything else, right? Zero balls. I mean, it's just the way they do stuff, right? They just beat around the bush and then they try to, to make something out of absolutely nothing. Yeah, but Ridiculous. it makes you wonder, <laughs> all these platitudes, you know, on the campaign trail, how are they actually really, what is their platform towards women? Okay, but, but right? Diana and Katya, I want to hear what was yeah. it like for you guys? Baka naman this is just a perspective, like this really old feminist, no. you know. <laughs> no. no, 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 of course not. I mean, honestly, like reading the headlines about mm -hmm. it, it feels like something straight out of... um. The Onion, like uh, it, it reads like satire or like Reductress. That's one of my favorite um, yeah. lines. Mm -hmm. I love satire. And it, it really felt like reading something straight out of there. Um, but yeah, the sad reality is like sometimes, I mean, I know there's a lot more hope now, but it feels like women can never win. I mean, mm -hmm. as much as like, you know, you're focusing on yourself, you're, you're doing what you have to do. You're doing, putting in the work. Yeah. And still it feels like still. You can, you'll be criticized no matter what. 
Um, like what you were saying earlier about the like Madonna horror complex, even though things are changing, I think there still is a tendency, and even for women, to think like, okay, um, I have to act this way or I have to act this way. And, you know, you end up losing yourself in the process, not realizing you can be both. Like, yeah. recently I was asked, what does it mean to be like a modern Filipina woman? And I mean, it really made me think, um, just because personally, I also have that tendency to be like, you know, I can, I can be proper, I can be um, polite, but I can also show teeth if I have to. I can speak up, I can cuss, I can say whatever I want, and I can be all of these things. And this is something Jan and I were also talking about, like when we were putting together Big Deal, like we wanted it to be a safe space where people, I mean, coming from a place of love, but where people could air out their grievances and with no filter, which is like, you know, the problem sometimes even we have that tendency to put that filter and like what you're saying, like, you know, preface the discussion by saying, oh, it's not a big deal. But I mean, seeing it in real life, like unfolding, um, reading the headlines, reading the news, yeah. like these things are a big deal. And I mean, it, it, it is really sad that this persists until today. And um, yeah, I mean, that's what that, like, that's how I was feeling really about um, the whole thing. I appreciate you saying that, Katya. Uh, it hadn't even, when you said it, it hit me as so true. But the sadness and the frustration weren't emotions that I had identified yet. But part of it was that. It's like, like how much better can you be? Mm. How much more? Pa? And still, they're freaking going to release a falsified sex tape, even if it were a real sex tape. The fact that it was released, the fact that it could be weaponized is so disheartening, right? This It's freaking 2022. We've already had female presidents in this country. Let's not talk about that necessarily. But, yeah, but what pa? Ano pa ang kailangan gawin to, you know? And this is still the freaking response. Oh, I appreciate it. So in your, in your experience for the book, and you, you, I mean, a lot of it is, again, uh, stories about Filipino women. What are these stories? What have you encountered? How do you define or what have you found is if there is um, a specific way of defining Filipino women today? What was your learning from the book? At least for me, but I think Katya and I have spoken to each other about this too after we uh, have these wonderful discussions with people about the book is that there's so much power in the way you tell your story. And I think that's something that we really felt when these uh, contributors came together to write and take pictures and draw or paint all of these things. And I think that one thing we really wanted to highlight was the stories we chose specifically or the stories that were in the book were stories that encompassed pain to power, not hatred, not, you know, all these things, because there's so many negative things floating around about this. And we don't want that to encompass what the story really means. So I think that that our what was most important to us was showing the journey and really being able to see at the end like even if I'm still in a million pieces, I'm working. I'm, I I accept that this is what's going on, and I'm working towards the 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 person I'm becoming. And I think going to what Katya was saying a while ago about the modern Filipina, I think that what a modern Filipina is to me is someone with freedom to make their own choices because you know how it's like there's that duality of career or yeah. being a mom or, you know, all these things. And I think both are wonderful. 
You know what I mean? But I think it's more of should be your decision. So I think that the freedom to have that choice, to be able to yeah. decide what you want to be without restrictions is what the modern Filipina is. So I think that reading and having the, you know, the honor and privilege of safeguarding these stories from these women has really taught me that we are stronger together and that when we stand together against, you know, specific issues and speak with love and community and support for each other, I think that's really the most powerful weapon we have. Yeah, you, you used some beautiful words there. One was mm. pain to power as a journey yeah. that just really resonated with me. And the idea of safeguarding these stories, I really like as well. Then it's such a welcoming, you can leave your stories here. They will be cared for and passed on, right? Which is such a big part, I think, of our tribal indigenous tradition is oral storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. And there's something about this that works to that that I think is also really wonderful. Um, I also think there's, you know, conversations to be had with the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and Tarana Burke, right? And the whole idea of just speaking it. The fact that so many women don't freaking speak their experiences of harassment or assault or rape or whatever, primarily because no one will believe them. Right? No, but it's not only that. There's also a kind of like, Social, uh, there's there's kind of stigma, right? Because if you get assaulted or harassed, you're that kind of girl. It's you know? your fault. But Whereas yeah. it's your fault. Whereas if you're a good yeah. girl and you follow all the rules and you're mahinhin and all that, it won't happen to you. But I remember writing a column once about you know when I was writing for Premium Inquirer about instances of, of sexual harassment in you know like all throughout my life. How you know even from from Matito that like. Says, oh, can I see your bra? It's gross, right? But you know, and and a lot of my friends who you know the like the sheltered existence and everything, they came up to me and said, you know, actually now that I think about it, there was this guy one time when I was walking. You know, it's all those things. But it's almost like women don't even want to think. Uh, there's a certain kind of women that you know doesn't want to think that happens to to them because then it means that they're that kind of girl. So all these these things, the stigma, we have to erase all of that. You know, we have to go beyond that because our experiences are so universal. No, I mean, I I totally agree with you that when experiences like that happen to you, you become labeled as, oh, she's that girl. Oh, this happened to her. Like, Mm. it becomes about that. But I think also after, like, the incident occurs, the woman will still be scrutinized for the way that she acted. Mm. Like, if she just keeps it to herself and like, you know, takes it in stride and doesn't do anything about it, you know, just moves on with her life or tries to be as polite and proper possible, then she'll be praised and she'll be, you know, people Mm -hmm. will say, wow, she handled it with so much grace and so much class. But then if you Mm -hmm. think about it, it's like, how are you supposed to react after? Like, what if, you know, you tell everyone about it, like you talk about the person, you name him, will people still feel that way? Will they be like, you know, um, Oh, I feel so bad for her that this happened to her. But wow, she's talking about it so much. Like, even after the incident occurs, no matter how you act, you'll still be scrutinized and you'll still be put under a microscope. And it's like, yeah, you, and it's not something you think about, like when an incident like that actually happens. And I mean, it happens to like all women in varying degrees. Yeah. And um. Yeah, that's what Jan and I also realized when when we were putting the book together was that we couldn't 
exactly relate to every single story, but there were parts of the stories or like the artwork and the photos that we resonated with mm-hmm. in some way. And these were words that people were able to name um, that we couldn't because like we didn't have the language to, especially before. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like, like when the book came together, it was really because I think we finally had the language to talk about experiences that we had gone through. And that's really mm-hmm. what wanted us to tap more people to join us in the project and really create that safe space because we didn't mm-hmm. feel like we had it back then because we weren't encouraged. What Yana said like way earlier was that we weren't encouraged to talk about these things also coming mm-hmm. from like such a sheltered background, going to so all girls. You're so, you're so young. So I think, <laughs> you know, I have, the, I have the misconception, I guess, that you would be encouraged. To talk about this stuff, but apparently no. No, I I I don't to Katya. I'll I'll say actually sadly it's 2022, but no. Like it's still the same reality for us. Actually, I would even say magnified because of social media. There's so much there's so much shaming going on and everything. And actually, from I was going to add from the mental health standpoint. From the mental health standpoint, a lot of the times when we Talk, when I talk to other women about their experiences as a peer counselor, you know, I, from the mental health perspective, a lot of times I hear like, even if I come forward, even if I don't come forward, I always yeah. lose. There's nothing yeah. in it. Like, it's like I never win in a way. Like, yeah. nothing ever makes me feel like I come to peace with what happened or I, or I seek justice. Like, there's no yeah. option for me to win. So it's just what will I do to minimize the least amount of damage? Like, not even for me, but for my family, for my friends. You know, all those things. And it's sad. It's really sad because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and when these things happen, it should be about the person that was hurt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, that's one thing that really frustrates me. And a lot of the times, especially in the Philippines, because Manila's too small. I know you guys all know that. <laughs> but it's too small. A lot of the times, it will, <laughs> it will be, oh, I also know the guy. So I don't, I want to stay neutral. So I don't hurt anyone. So, I mean, staying silent <laughs> also an opinion, right? So, so I yeah. think that's, that's one thing Katya and I get super frustrated about because when you have the when you are in a place of privilege, you should use that to help people who don't have Agreed. it. So Agreed. that's what that's what and when Kat, Katya, as one of my best friends, she created a safe space for me to be able to find my footing. So with the big deal, we kind of wanted to create places where people could you know stand on their own too. So that's kind of. From the mental health standpoint, that's where we came from in in that way. One of my favorite quotes is from Toni Morrison, who said, um, if you're free, your job is to free somebody else. I mean, that really Mm -hmm. is, if you're empowered, your job is to empower someone else. I really love that. Parking back, I was going to talk about something Bambina had spoken about, and it had to do with, oh, what were we just talking about? See, this, this is what happens to the dinosaurs. (laughs) <laughs> and age, and this is what you get. But yeah, no, there's a lot to tackle here. Oh, I was going to say, and what's crazy is if we look sort of globally, we're actually not even quote that bad, right? Because mm. there are cultures where women are stoned to death still. And yeah, I remember I, I did a very short talk um, for something about women in business. And people were like, oh, the Philippines, you have so many leaders and you're really high on the index for women empowerment and education and all these things. And I was like, yeah, but we still can't get divorced. We still can't talk about sex and reproductive rights. And at the time, 
the age of consent was 12. I mean, now it's a whopping fantastic 16, whatever. 16. But, you know, <laughs> but it's such a dichotomous culture in that sense. In many yeah. other cultures, I'll notice that women really are silenced much more than even Filipinas mm-hmm. are, you know, around Filipino men. There's still a level of deference and respect and all that stuff. But then on a dime, it can switch and become really rather violent. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's <laughs> shocking in some ways, no? Madonna yeah, whore. It, so, sa boys, ano siya? Knight yeah. in shining armor and abuser, ganon. What would be the, we need a, an equivalent Madonna whore for our was, male culture. I was actually going like to add something to that because it just jogged my memory. Um, in the start of Big Deal, Katya and I do talk about the glow. <laughs> we do talk about the the what was the specific term? Yeah, we do talk about it in the preface of the book. And then we were saying again about how it's really difficult for women or people in this country to be able to champion women's rights when it's not championed within our leaders. So it's yes. so I think yes. that's something that we discuss too. But also one thing that you mentioned is you know how other cultures are like encourage women also to be let's say more silent than in Philippine culture. But what I find dangerous about Philippine culture sometimes is that there's that deception that, oh, the Filipino woman is free, but we're actually not. There's that danger that it's actually being presented that we are, but when we're actually not. So there's there's that lie. So I think so I think that's what scares me a lot, actually. Um yeah, mm-hmm. we see it within I mean, both like on a like national level but also within our own circles we we still feel that and we still see that yeah i mean it, it just it all goes back to like the same the same thing of like you know you know like feeling that we get the short end of the stick no matter what mm-hmm. and um yeah that's yeah like what yana was saying um we wrote that in the preface of the book like what really is the true measure of knowing that we are like a com- a country that champions women and celebrates women and mm-hmm. supports women even if we've had female precedents even if we rank high up on like all of these surveys do we actually feel it and i mean that's why big deal was our own small yeah. way of of trying to do that mm-hmm. because it's what we didn't so, have growing so, up to. yeah so and i think that you know we we come from a background all of us here today for a certain measure of privilege right we've all right spend time abroad studying or living abroad and all that. But it just brings to mind that we're a country where the gender pay gap is actually, we, we have the, you know, one of the smallest pay gaps in, in Asia, I think, no? The Philippines. And yet women still end up, I mean, in many families, maybe less, less privileged families, if you want to put it that way, the women are the ones that carry the families, even financially, right? They're the ones who have to look for solutions to keep the family alive. It's all these OFWs, all these domestic helpers who go abroad. And then the, the men just, you know, sit back and wait for the money to come in and drink. And I mean, it's a story you hear I've had with my Oregon, own help, yeah. you know, while I was abroad. But also I wanted to, to also say like, um, because you, you girls both brought it up about, you know, within your own circles, like, you know, we've all had the good fortune of being able to, to I mean, Luis was raised mostly overseas, but you know, to study abroad and then after a certain amount of time come back to the Philippines. And it just made me think about my friends whose children are now going overseas or have been overseas, the way they talk about the sons who've been sent abroad compared to the daughters who've been sent abroad. And there's always like, 
oh yeah oh my god did you hear she's so wild apparently like university she goes out with all the boys and this and that i never hear the same thing said about the men that about their oh my god my 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 son just sleeps around and, and none none of that oh my son's so hard working he's gonna get a business degree and this and that and and you know he he, he tried to he created an app or something it's, it's like with men you raise them up with all these kinds of you know achievements or it's all achievement based whereas with women it's like it's a scorecard of how many men you've slept with or whatever it's always that's a defining thing i, I just don't understand it yeah <laughs> there's a um, great book I, i've said this before on this podcast and i'll say it again peggy orenstein is a wonderful journalist and she wrote a few mm. books the first one was cinderella ate my daughter the second is girls and sex. And the third is boys yeah. and sex. And oddly enough, I actually find boys and sex a more enlightening read as a mother, as a woman uh, with both a daughter and a son. And truthfully, I was really so clear in my head about raising a feminist son, raising an empowered daughter, all these things. But I do think because we've grown up in a world that teaches us if you happen to be in a race that is otherized and, and treated so badly, it's your problem. Why you are shot by police, why you're treated unfairly. If you're a woman, it's your problem when, you know, some asshole from Stanford decides to assault you because you, you're passed out drunk outside a party, right? And I, what I think is really powerful, and Bambina said it earlier, but to reiterate, it, a lot of it, it, it's the men's problem. It's white people's problem. Like, you need to fix this mess. <laughs> it's not just on the freaking women to keep gathering voices and holding each other up. That is crucial and fundamental. But the other side of it is, yeah, we need more male allies to speak up, pick up the gauntlet. We need to teach our sons to speak up. If someone is slut-shaming a friend of theirs in college that they knew in Manila, they need to say something. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, I mean, my question is, a lot of it has to deal with also opening up ourselves to changing the, the narrative for ourselves, you know, because in many cases, you grow up sort of picking up on the narrative of your parents or the people around you. And it takes an event for you to realize that that is not necessarily an applicable narrative to you. And I think what happens in the Philippines in many cases is that how do you tell most of the country that it is okay to challenge the guys it is okay to kick them out it is okay to because you need to change that narrative for yourself and i think a lot of what we find right now is the inability to change the storyline and, and and it takes generations to change right so of course yes laura to your point we, we i mean the people who do understand that there is a different narrative need to take um you know charge and change it um, but it's a like, big, big thing, right? Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> we need be an to be allied silently. Sure. But I want to say, you're, you can no longer not be a racist. You have to be an anti-racist. The same thing. For, and, and, you know, honestly, again, so what, what's happened to me as a gay man in many cases, is like I become, so you sort of need to become much louder so that then the balance hits out. Right? So I will give 20% of my time to my male child and but i need 80 percent to my you know my female child so that then at the end it, it balances out I, i've i've learned to be very very upfront almost aggressive with certain comments with people publicly like 
Oh, hi. Uh, this is my party. Yes, I am gay. What do you have any problem with this? So, you know, I, I, so you, you already sort of set the stage for people to like back off. Right. And it's really important. And it's, and it's a pity, but you need to sort of start educating these assholes. about. Yeah, okay. And and I do, this, right? I do and it's not. I'm not saying it's easy. Like I remember, my kids are, no. are quite are quite pale. You know this, right? So I'm I'm already half white. My kids are their father is Argentinian, so no. very they'll they'll probably be white identified most of their life. And we've had to have the talk about, you know, it's obviously quote not your fault because this is how you were born and that's fine. But what you can't do is think that this entitles you to certain things just because it's how you look right so mm-hmm. someone if you're being allowed to skip in the line in front of someone who looks more asian or more latino or more black or more or poorer or whatever your job is to not be okay with that and say something and do something right you had mentioned earlier yana right to use your privilege you gotta but it is, yeah. it is a skill. I mean, unless we practice mm-hmm. these things and talk to our children about these things, our friends about these things, mm-hmm. how are you going to get better? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So but I wanted to ask Diana and Tatia, like, how have you succeeded, or if it's you're still in the process of doing so, um, to get your parents to accept yourselves as women with voices, women with your own you know, ambitions that may not, correspond perhaps with certain values that are held by society that could be seen as holding you back in terms of your own personal development and fulfillment Pat, you want to go first? (laughs) (laughs) Actually funny because we kind of had a similar discussion recently Jans I think my parents how do I put this? We're very cool I mean because I know your parents they're they're very cool to start with but still with your own kid it's yeah. It's sometimes a different thing, right? They know that I can't be stopped. Like, if I want to say something, I'm going to say it. Recently, like, so, uh, something happened to me, and I, I really wanted to, after I processed it, I really wanted to talk about it. And I, you know, had long discussions with my parents about it. And my mom is really more of like the protective, like, nurturing type, like, you know, just wanting me to be safe. But still understanding like, oh, this is how I want to go about doing things. And my dad is also the same way. And I'm so lucky that they are both so supportive of how I want to go about doing things. I think they trust me enough that I will do things the way I want to. And I know what I'm doing. I'm not too impulsive. And I'm just so lucky that they let me do my thing, even though it it takes a lot of explaining, especially in the beginning, you know, like coming together with this project. And, you know, having my advocacy of like gender equality and women's empowerment, it was hard for them to grasp, I guess, because it wasn't really a, a topic. Um, growing, I mean, growing up, I didn't even know this was like a path that I wanted to take or I, I had the option to take, like to be an advocate for women's rights, to write about mm-hmm. women's empowerment. And so it, it took a lot of explaining and it took a lot of conversations. And I think finally, like when we did put the book together, that really solidified that okay this is i'm going to be i'm going to be doing this and i'm going to keep doing this and sorry if like it scares you but it scares me too sometimes but if i want to do it i'm i'm going to do it and if yeah i mean it's a domino effect if if i want to do it i want to encourage other people to do it also 
And that's the only way that things are going to change, even though it is it is scary and it is a big risk. And I know like Jan and I, before putting the book out, we're always like our names are on the line, you know, like mm-hmm. we uh, we got asked before during our press con, Yana's boss. Um, yes! Who do you think is going to be offended? Um, she asked us, who do you think is going to be offended by this book? And we were really like, we, you know, paused for a second and we were like, People who aren't accountable. I mean, if if you get affected by what you read, if it hits you in some way negatively, then maybe you're guilty or something. Maybe you have to reflect on something that you've done or something that you've said. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're not, you know, coming out, like coming after these people. Like what Yana was saying earlier, this did not come from a place of hatred and, you know, wanting to mm-hmm. destroy people's reputations. But it really came from a place of like love and understanding. And yeah, I'm lucky enough that my parents like foster that culture and are very accepting of this is what we wanted to do. And this is what we're going to keep doing. And, um, this is, this is it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I think the one thing that was helpful was that, you know, Kat mentioned a while ago that our parents are best friends, so they could worry about it together. (laughs) 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 That's when we're kind of uh, doing our own thing. But I think for me, there was just, some hesitation but also in the same for the reason of wanting to protect because I think I wouldn't discount my parents they're much wiser than I am so I'm sure they know more about the world than I do I still have so much to learn so I think that part of them just sees what happens to women that speak out this way and Mm. they wanted to protect me you know what I mean but part of me also wanted to tell them that you raised me to be this way like I have like I feel like I'm brave enough to do this so I think that it's something that we had to talk about because my parents were afraid and, and not really afraid of the issue more afraid of what would happen to me or what happened what would happen to Katya especially because not we don't just talk about very delicate topics in this book we we had a whole part on you know the coming elections and our views on politics in this book like specifically from Katya and I. So, so I think it was just something that they were worried about. But, you know, I think one one thing that I really appreciated was that we always, it was always okay to have that conversation that we disagreed on certain things. And it was always that I understood where my parents were coming from and they understood where I was coming from. And when the book finally came out, it facilitated a deeper discussion with me and my parents. Like, I'm really close to both of my parents, and I really grew up, like, very lucky in that sense. Same as Katya, you know. And I think I see it a lot with both my parents. Like, my mom is more open with me now about the things she's experienced, because my mom's a very, very, uh, she's not as, she's quiet, a little bit on the reserved side. But at least with me, she's more open, and I've learned so much about her throughout this whole experience. And with my dad... I see that he makes an effort to correct the way he speaks about certain things. Not that my dad was ever, you know, disrespectful, but more of like trying to be more politically correct about certain things. Like, so he's saying, right. wait, this correct? Did I say it right? I'm going to offend someone. I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, we, we keep on saying it's important to keep our biases in check all the time, no matter where we come from. We have our biases. And so they do, they do shape our thoughts. And, and, and what's really nice is that A, you have been able to give more voices to more people and B, uh, that includes the men. 
because um, I have to say, men sometimes don't even know how to speak. So let alone give them a voice. Right? So uh, the issue is really, I mean, it's a little bit Neanderthalic, but the reality is um, we need to support men as well in giving them tools to express themselves because they were never brought up understanding what they had to process. And that is one of the things that people don't realize, right? Yes, we can be Neanderthalic, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that we were never taught how to process emotion, how to process, um, you know, how to deal with other people. And I think that is really key. I've seen more and more folks, more men and parents, like fathers, really try to pick up on their children's uh, voices and say, I'm sorry, you know, this is how I grew up. But the fact that they have actually become more aware of a different yes. voice and a different tone, that is absolutely incredible because that's already a big, big change. Yeah, Katya and I really emphasize that need to ask questions. Like it's so it's it's super okay if you don't get it right. But I don't claim like we don't claim to be the experts on it at all. Actually, I'm learning so much about it. I actually learned about it from Katya also. But like it's really the fact that you ask, is this right? Can we talk about it? Because I want to understand more. That's exactly what we're trying to go for. Because we're not asking people to know how to respond. Because yeah. we don't know how to either. We don't, yeah, we're not experts either. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really, we noticed it, like the change, even with our own guy friends. Um, I know a lot of guys, I think, like our age, have that tendency to, to only speak up about an issue. Let's say a friend was sexually harassed. They'll only come to the defense when they actually know the person. But when it comes to larger issues that don't exactly affect them, they'll just stay silent. So there's, it's very selective. Mm-hmm. And we, we were just really happy that, you know, after we put the book out, we had guy friends read it and, you know, realize things also. I think even if it, it, they didn't exactly tell us, I think it also helped them realize that, okay, maybe something they did in the past was sort of in the gray area. And as long as, you know, they commit to doing better after, that's like all we could mm-hmm. hope for. And yeah, actually, like, when was that? Yeah, it's like two weeks ago, when we, we had this conversation about, do you think it would be harder to raise a girl or a boy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> we were <laughs> I'm just going to have cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a responsibility. It's such a responsibility to, I really have to give it to all the parents. Like, it's really uh-huh. such a responsibility to raise your children well. Yeah. and like. I'm going to give it to my parents, parents, and I mean, I feel like we turned that okay. So, so I think that it's, it's really that uh, conversation when our friends realize this is your reality. This is what you have to live through. Yeah. I'm like, yes, this is yeah. how like, having to, like one of the pieces in the book is, you know, having to uh, have your friends know where your location is if you yeah, ride in a exactly. cab by yourselves. You know what I mean? And, guy, and guys are like, well, I don't understand having to walk home is so scary. It's not. It's more of a hassle because it's like, I'm sleepy and I want to get home. But for girls, it's really like, okay, mm. where, who can I text? I mean, I have to text, update my friends every time. I'm Do alone. I have keys in my hand? Walk and in the exactly. middle of the street. Exactly. And no, I know some, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. some of our friends even have like, leave their hair in the car, you know, just in case. Like, like it, it really is so many precautionary measures like that is an example of the difference like walking home yeah for a, i used for to, a I, used to keep a, I used to keep a balisa yeah. in my bag 
They leave a strand of hair in the car for DNA yeah. in case. Oh, well, that's yeah. new. I never that's even new. thought of that. Jesus. That's yeah. new. That's yeah, some, people, some people do that. And I the thing is, it's it was actually that piece that I heard resonated with a lot of our male friends that were like, you have to worry that much when you have to go home. And like, sometimes, well, yeah. Because of them. Because of men. Exactly. Yeah, gosh. Sometimes it wasn't even crossing home. It's like crossing the street. Like, yeah. you know, coming, like going from campus to like the mall across school. Like women are like constantly vigilant. No. And they're just like, you know, going about their day, like just strolling over there. And we're always like looking around. Like I remember when I was in school, I was always like looking around. No earphones okay. on. Like um, just walking straight ahead as fast as I could. Yeah. Does that change depending on your surroundings? Stupid question, I think, because you kind of answered it. But what the other, not so long ago, I was walking down the street, you know, here and, and again, fairly privileged background. So I don't tend to walk all around, say, our city, which I should probably do more of. But I had been walking down the street and sort of just walking, walking. It was fine. And then when I saw a group of men, right? Um, it was actually policemen on on motorbikes and stuff. Immediately, I could I could sense the way I held my spine up change, oh. the pace of my walking change. Like I saw everything change. How I looked directly at the eyes of like whatever, like it changes. And if I walk by a different group of men, then I won't look them straight in the eye because it's too much of a threat or whatever. But I noticed, and you know, the term for this in some areas is code switching, right? Depending mm-hmm. where you are as a woman, your body language changes. When you speak up changes, the volume of your voice, if you make direct eye contact, if you giggle, if you don't, all of that changes depending on perceived threat. If I'm not being perceived seriously in a classroom or in a boardroom or something, there's so much going on in my freaking brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of showing up and just. Yeah. Just whatever being, I can't just ever be right. And I imagine for people who have other things they have to freaking deal with, it's even just one more thing on top of the other, on top of the other. It's so freaking loud in our brains, right? No, but so can you imagine the triggers? Somebody who's been assaulted in the past and still yeah. processing all that, still living with the trauma, and then having to go about everyday life with yeah. triggers all around. Oh my god! I mean, it it can really do your head in, right? And men mm-hmm. don't seem to even understand grasp the extent of internal mental stress that, that we all deal with right Absolutely. i wanted to ask what was the most controversial chapter in your book so you were like oh my god should we put this in or you know that, or a lot more than one i there was there were a few where uh, Katya and I would literally just be on the phone with each other and we would take turns crying like it would really be like like one of us would have to take turns like okay I'm the strong one today you can cry and then take turns like and then yes. we would always have to reassure each other that you know like we're doing this for the right reasons like yeah. we have good intentions and we don't intend to to be this is not a name calling book that's not who that's not what we are it's really about encompassing the experiences of Filipinas people so yes there were parts of the book that were difficult um also because Katya and I have both been through our fair share of experiences between the two of us but also because a lot of the people that we love have been through those experiences so having to like go through and read all those things over and over again 
really like, and one thing actually that I was really happy about was when we were talking about before, you would think that, okay, I need one of those. <laughs> I need like four, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, we were thinking that one thing we were happy about was that as we kept reading it, we felt sad every time. We never got desensitized. And no matter how many times we read the piece, it was sad every time. It was really like one of those things that we really made an effort to, even up the day before the launch. Oh my I think God, it was, I was crying the day before the launch. Yeah. yeah. So it was really, yeah, it was really the fact that we had to decide what's more important, this cause or our personal feelings with regards to certain people. And we both had to make that call. So I think that, of course, because once we step over the line, you can't go back. Yeah. So mm. I think that was our biggest challenge, but I wasn't alone. I had Katya. So I think that that's why also it's great to stand with someone. You feel less afraid when you're with people. So yeah. I think for sure. Really that- mm-hmm. yeah. And we both knew that I think um, entering this project, we knew that we would be dealing with, you know, possible controversies or like, you know, more sensitive topics. and. Yeah, we didn't enter the project blindly. We knew what we were doing. But I mean, it was still really, really scary. We wanted to do things the right way. Because like, after all, this was really supposed to be a, and is a safe space. And we just wanted to commit to that. Because that's what we promised our contributors from the very beginning. To protect their stories, no matter what. And yes, there were a lot of more controversial pieces. But we, we made sure that we took the right measures to ensure that they would be protected no matter what. And yeah, like what Yana said, we just had to also keep reminding ourselves that we committed to this project. Like there was no, of course there were times when we were like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. But yeah. at the time, we're like, we have to keep doing this because we made this promise to our contributors and we want to push through with the project because this is as much their project as it is ours. And we just had to keep um, returning to that. And just like repeat it to ourselves like again and again and again. And that's why it was just so fulfilling when we were finally able to do it and to put the piece, all the pieces together and to see the book in writing. It just also felt so powerful to hold all of these stories physically, like literally holding them together. Yeah, we were just so lucky that we, like I was so lucky that Yana and I um, were able to do this together and really back each other up and like hold each other's hands, like even if it was virtually um, <laughs> throughout the entire process. Wow, and yeah, we were just so lucky to have the support of even our, um, our publisher and all of our contributors, you know, who were really understanding of all of our delays. Cause just cause we wanted to do things right. the right way and the best possible way to finally put the book out there. In fact, actually our contributors made us braver. Yeah, Actually, I feel sure. like because we had them behind us saying that you can do it. Like, this is, we were, we were kind of, we had their support. Plus, I remember before the launch, my parents said they were proud of me. And I think that's like, Aww. oh, I'm ready. I can do this. You know what I mean? Like, like I, can, I can do this. And ultimately, like, the people that meant most to Katya and I kept saying that they were so proud. So we were like, why were you crying during the launch? <laughs> I know you were crying so much. <laughs> yeah. It sounds cathartic. It sounds like it was such an experience more than just writing. Like it really seems to have been a communal sharing <laughs> that was far deeper than just words. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, there was something that you, you mentioned earlier, Jana, that I, from a conversation you and Katya had about parenting. Um, and I think skirting a little bit behind that is this idea that women have to have babies, <laughs> especially in the Philippines, right? But wala ka oh, yeah. anak, So I feel also, like my kids hear me all the time say, if you ever decide to get married, whoever gender, if you decide to be partnered or married or whatever, if you decide to ever have children, that is an if. And I tell them, you know, it doesn't even have to be blood related. Let's say later you decide and you want to adopt a kid. Parang, there's so many unwanted children on this planet. I'm not even sure. The planet can't take any more people. We know this, right? <laughs> so, parang, I, I think this is another conversation maybe harking a bit back to what Bambina was saying that women in our country are still really thought of as mothers. That Madonna horror thing. We're supposed to carry the whole family and the family's supposed to be big. <laughs> we're supposed to have the five plus children be amazing mothers and freaking bring home the bacon. Yeah, the bacon. Yeah. But, but parenting, I really think, is so associated still with motherhood for us, uh, with uh, women for us. Um, mm-hmm. And it's weird but then to see a woman who is deciding, I just, I don't want it, diba? <sighs> I don't know. In your generation, maybe that will change. I'm really, I have to say, I'm still a bit shocked that there, so much of the stuff that I would have thought would no longer be a problem is still so mm. expectant in your generation. But, you know, it's a little disheartening, but then again, you guys came up with this book, so yay. <laughs> There is hope. Okay, so me, I'll, I'll, I want to steer this to just probably get some closing thoughts here. And I'd really like to ask, especially as a role, I think, how do you see Filipino women in the future coming up? I mean, uh, where, where, do you, where do you want to see Filipino women's voices and attitudes and presence in the future? What, 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 what's this? What, is, what does it look like? What's the painting? What's... what's, what's What's in? What's ahead of you? Um, hello, 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 hello. No one can see it, but we're, yeah. Um, okay, anyway. no, it's light. It's light, but it is. I think for me, I want what I see for the future is 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 no path, just forward. Like I think that that it's it's um one thing I I wish is for more safe spaces everyone and it's not just for women i think mm-hmm. it's important that we that we support each other you know that men and women continue to hold each other and you know uh, uh, people filipinos you know what i mean we we chat we we are all allies for each other but i think that's important and i i also hope that that we are that there is freedom freedom to decide what you want to be without judgment whether that's you know whether you want to get married, not get married, whether you want to have children, not have children, or, you know, if you want to have a career or you want to be a housewife, whatever you want is mm. completely fine. So I think that that's my dream. It's that literally when they say you can have, you can make whatever you want. That's really the truth. So I think that that's for me is my hope. I think similar to Yana, um, freedom is such a big part. I mean, I think growing up, we were told like, yeah, you could be whoever you wanted to be. You could be whatever you wanted to be. But now that I think about it, like in hindsight, 
yeah, I was told these things, encouraged by my parents, you know, in school also. But at the same time, we didn't really have enough role models, like Filipino role models. Like the path was always so predetermined and so singular. And my hope really is that women realize that there is no single path. Um, I think like what we kept talking about earlier was that there is no single definition of like being a modern Filipino woman anymore. We're all different and, you know, we can be multiple things at once. My hope really, like what Yana was saying, was that women realize that they have the freedom to actually do and become whoever they want to be. And in the process, it sort of becomes like a domino effect when they do become that person and become, yeah, become that person. It sort of sets an example for like another woman and another woman and another woman and sort of becomes like a domino effect. Um, and we become sort of role models for one another, not necessarily following a straight linear path that is the same for every person, but really celebrating the different ways that we could go about becoming Filipinas and women in the country. And how do you think we're developing? Do you think we're heading in that direction? I I'll let you know after me. Me nine. Hey, there, whatever it is, I think wherever it is, um, there has been an incredible. I, I mean, honestly, I, I never thought that we would be where we're at today with that amount of awareness and 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 joy and energy and passion. And, and there's been it's it's a really Thirty years later, I guess we talked about this before, and I want to keep on seeing that. We have twenty more days, and, and you know what? I think as Filipinos, we always show up when we have to, and I really hope that that's the case for us again. Agree. Do you really think it will be a game changer if she if she wins? I mean, I hope so. No, personally, I hope so. I think it but, will send the right you know, message, Bambina. Yeah. At the end of the day, the no, message was sent. Definitely. And so that to me already, I mean, will she have a hard time? Absolutely. But it would have been done. Okay. <laughs> so just in terms of so language really matters, right? And I think mm-hmm. to the point of big deal, yeah. to the point of Me Too and all these things, we're coming from an administration that rose to power on tremendous machismo, <laughs> rape, rape jokes. Uh, threats certain, against yeah, direct true. threats against women's vaginas and shooting them, right? Mm-hmm. Just the the sheer misogyny is the sheer misogyny, the rape culture, right there. The fact that we have a surge, this pink wave, right? So, regardless, I think of what happens, there has been such a sea change in the language used, the imagery used, mm-hmm. the vitriol against that leaked fake sex tape. I think is right on point. We're not going to tolerate that crap anymore. So to me already, I'm so, so, you know, that's a surge. Hopefully we can keep momentum going. All right, ladies, I want to thank you for, for being here with us. I know otherwise, truthfully. Okay. If I had my, we could go on and on and on. I would freaking keep you here and like hug you and smother you. And just be surrounded by good cocktails and just speak to you all freaking afternoon and evening because you were just phenomenal. I love, I love so refreshing. I I mean, seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just also with a lot of compassion as well. I mean, that's a really big thing for me. It's just, you can, you can complain, you can criticize and all that, but I think 
it has to come from a place of compassion, not hatred, like, you know, and yeah, and seeing that, you know, you reflect that as well, even in the way, the careful way you put all the stories together. It's just, for me personally, very heartwarming as well. There's power and compassion, ladies. And I think you really Mm. sort of embody that. So I want to say thank you. Thank thank you for being here and talking with us. And oh my God, more books and and more recommendations on staff picks and everything. And folks listening, my gosh, pick up copies, please. Big deal. And what was the next one? And Fearless Filipinas. Fearless Fearless Filipinas coming out soon. Check Mm. out staff picks online as well. Thank Thank you you so so much for joining us today. It was such an honor to join you guys. <laughs> and we could no, just keep going was... also, trust us. Kind of like talk Hoy, pag nagla-late night talk kayo, tawagan niyo ako, makikisali si Mama. But I lie because I'll be asleep at 9 p.m. But anyway. <laughs> All right, okay, ladies, so thank you so much. Let's hope for the best and maybe. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, ladies. Bye. Bye. Okay, we'll let you guys know when it's out. We'll be in touch. And Thank then I you, know, I kind of want to do this again. I feel like I want to tackle this. I know. Or rally cover for sure. <laughs> Grabe. You guys are so amazing. Truly. I'm like all inspired and like I want to go out and march and do something. Yeah. <laughs> you will. Saturday. 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 Yeah. yeah, I have no shame anymore. That's the plus about hitting 50. Yeah. <laughs> Zero fucks to give. Lana, Lana, Putana. Exactly. I need to get yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies. We will yeah. So we'll let you know when it comes out and then hopefully we can we can meet in person and you know early yeah, in the evening, so but awesome. I can still go out. <laughs> so right. soon. I'll be back soon. Okay. 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 Bye guys. Lovely meeting you too. Thank you for making time. Stay safe. Be safe. Thank you for making people safe. Amen. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Wow. That was pretty. I don't know. I'm all like, I'm I'm sort of simultaneously feeling a little insecure and underachieving and inspired. (laughs) How wonderful our guest today. You have to see. Yeah, absolutely. And in the context of our society, it's pretty great. 2022 but it's still really brave what they're doing what they've done right which is sad no? which is sad in a way but at least you know there's hope like i say like we all say you know we look for the silver lining i think you know i'll tell you what and i think you touched on it earlier bambina what i found really refreshing so you know there are waves of feminism intersectionality anything mm-hmm. any anytime any kind of oppressed group really tries to and change things, whatever. You've seen them in different waves. And what I, I find really interesting about this one is this embrace of compassion, this very mm. blunt stating of safe spaces and care and nurturing. Because if you go back before, it was so, it was very much the language of patriarchal war, right? It was like, we have to raise the fists and break down the patriarchy mm. and all this stuff. I still think there's room for that. I'm very much a both and kind of gal, as you already know, not either or. But I find it, to me, this is new. The almost weaponizing nur- nurturing. <laughs> you know weaponizing I mean? kindness, as we say. It's, yeah. It, yeah. It's, I found that really refreshing. Lou, what did you yeah, say? No, I'm, I'm just, you know, I've, I've been trying to sort of process a process. little bit. Because, because 
Um, on, on one side, I think that, you know, without going too deep, um, both ladies have had, I, I'm sure, very strong experiences. What, what is very nice, and I guess this is to your point, is allowing multiple stories to happen in a venue, which is the book, almost allows as well a bigger forum of people being together, not necessarily physically, but philosophically or in spirit, right? And where each of the stories that they've gone through supports the other story, the next story, and the next woman, and the next experience, and the next sad story, but the next story of hope. And I think that's that's what I see in all of this. Yes, it's a bit of a weaponizing of kindness, but it's really more about what they talked about. It's about community. Yeah. A com- community in, in experience. Yeah. I actually think weaponizing might be the wrong word because it sounds outward. Yeah. But I mean, it, it really makes the point. It, it really makes the point. It, it, or, or, you understand. It yeah. We didn't I, even I think, take a picture. Oh, shit. I took some screenshots. <laughs> I'll fix it. Um, there were, I think, you know, someone was just talking about this. There was an article, maybe it was her in the the inquirer where I just most recently read it. When we talk about power, we talk very much about attacking and very aggressive, Mm. angry emotions, right? When we talk about compassion and kindness, there is a subtext that it means weakness, but it is the Mm. opposite, right? In many cases. And I find that's sort of what I think we're all kind of saying here. And uh, there was such an amazing power here that is about change and is about empowerment and is about revolution in its way. But it's decidedly a different tone, narrative, modus operandi. It's, it's in this safe space, it's in a space of compassion and kindness. And I, I love yeah, and, and- that. It, when I, I, I just love that in the in the sort of in the context of Katya sharing, you know, the story of what well, is it, Katya? I think, or yeah, about her dad now checking his own biases uh, in the way he refers Yana. to certain <laughs> things, Yana. right? Yeah. Um, Yana, sorry, yeah. So it was Yana saying that, and and it's really important because that really now speaks of the stories that they have told are so powerful that they have actually created a change. In a thought process. Right, right. Mm. But it was from a welcoming instead of an antagonist. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Instead of an yeah. other. Yes. It was like a yes. welcome to our circle and our stories. Take yes. this, what you will, including growth. Yes. Yeah. But, but it, um, it also, for me, um, sorry, Lau, yeah. it um, kind of symbolizes a change in the structure and the. Of, I don't know what the word is of the Filipino family where the model used to be very authoritarian in the way that I'm your parents listen to me I know I'm right to a kind of collaborative consultative kind of relationship where yeah. parents are starting to realize that well first of all it's, we're not, it's not a binary world that we live in anymore but that their children are specific persons as well with their own personality and they're all also trying to understand who their children are. So, I mean, that's kind of like a sea change in, yeah. in you know, when you think about our culture. 
And locally, Babina, I think it's important to mention that that's locally because obviously for for Filipino yes, generation yes, perhaps, families yeah. that are abroad, they have been feeling this for for a, a different time. And and so I'd I'd really you know be curious to understand uh, you know when they come back home, second generation or third generation, how that impacts coming back to visit the families that are still here. Yeah, right. that's it. So yeah. I'd like yeah. to posit, a, perhaps in closing, but a fairly maybe self-indulgent comment. In that, no. I'm the matching so shoulders. Much, with matching oh my, shoulders. With matching shoulders. Okay. No one can oh. see it, but this is Laura trying to be coquettish. <laughs> um, what I think also really hmm, maybe spoke to me about these these young women is very much kind of what I feel with you two. And why we did this podcast, right? We were so clear mm. from the get-go that we didn't want to make it an othering experience, that we wanted mm-hmm. to welcome stories. We wanted a platform where stories could be told, and we wanted to welcome people into the chat that we were having. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so there was something for us and, also to understand other yeah, points exactly, of view. To right? learn, which it also mentioned. And right in the beginning, when Katya was talking about it, and then Yana was saying that, you know, in the beginning before we started recording, we were discussing how the podcast came about and that we're not a gotcha kind of thing. Mm. We want a safe space for people to be able to share their stories, et cetera. And together we explore what being Filipino is now, et cetera. I love that they they kept sort of citing that as a similarity. And I definitely mm. felt it all throughout. And so parang if if I can consider us as part of that vein, for as old as I am, <laughs> how mm. nice to feel allied with that movement, no? Don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Although if <laughs> If I can be a little tappy, I'd like to have certain guests over and I really want to do a gotcha moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, certain meals, right? Okay. Second season. In keeping with Second the flipping, flipping of the flipping of the narrative, <laughs> Bambina would like to take yeah. all of that and flip it on its head. Fabulous. Okay, we'll have one yeah. drunken podcast where we go after, folks. <laughs> Stay tuned, everybody. There's so many to choose from, right? That's so funny. All right, folks. Listen, I am so grateful for this episode. I really found it inspiring. I love the idea of not weaponizing, but empowerment through compassion and kindness. And welcoming, right? Change through welcoming. I think that's really rather radical. So thank you. Yep. So I super appreciate this. Mas radical magmahal. Eso. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Until next time. Okay. Have a fantastic the week is ahead. Pink. The future is pink. Bye. Bye. Okay, bye. Okay. See you. Well, was it worth it? Did we work it? Put that thing down. Flip it in reverse it. Keep flipping with us. Subscribe to Flipping the Narrative wherever you get your podcasts to listen to our new episodes as soon as they drop. We are on social media too. Follow at Flipping the Narrative on Instagram and Facebook and let us know what you think. Or send us an email at flippingthenarrative.podcast at gmail.com. That's flippingthenarrative.podcast at gmail.com. Music courtesy of Cumbia Mamacita by Yoki of Ozen Beats. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Josel Gaston, our sound editor and musical engineer and podcast advisor and overall guru, and to Nami Kapati, the artist who created our awesome logo and visuals. Till we flip again. Flip the narrative.